Hi, and welcome. I'm your host, Armin Prasher, and you're listening to Literal Talks. If you are new here, welcome, and thank you for joining the family. But if you are a regular listener and are coming back for more, thank you so much for sticking by me. Now, another reminder, I have made an introductory episode to my podcast, and I like to think of it as that it's sort of a stepping stone into the actual podcast. And during the duration of this episode, or just any time in general, and you're, if you're looking for any general or clinical technical information about me or the podcast, uh, I would recommend you go check that episode out because in most likelihood, it will probably be there. So with that stuff out of the way, let's get into today's topic and continue our discussion on the masterpiece Origin by Dan Brown. So like I said in the last episode, today we will be finishing off the book Origin and like last week, we focused on the first half of the book. Today, our focus will be centered around the second half of the book. And, you know, I'll be sticking to the same formatting style as I did in the last episode, because I feel that that works fairly well. And this is, again, going to be where I give you a really short and brief summary of the book. And then we'll move on to a much, much deeper discussion on the two remaining key themes of the book. And, you know, just a heads up, I covered the prerequisites or the other two key themes in the book last episode. So if you want to go check that out, be sure to listen to that episode because I feel that it will give you a better experience out of these ones since you'll know what's going on and, you know, what it's going to look like when you get to that part. So secondly, uh, this, these two, you know, sections, I guess you could call it, will be followed up by a third one where I discuss more technical and clinical stuff about the second half of the book and if you remember correctly in the first one or the first episode we covered sort of the introductory things and like the characters and their development and how i like the rising action of the book and today we'll be focusing more on the climactic scene uh the falling action the conclusion and how how i feel their arcs should have ended or how they did end and my opinions on that And that will be a wrap for this episode. We will finish it off with a quick conclusion. And then we'll be moving on to the next one, which will be, as I said before, a shorter episode. And where we will be discussing an overarching synopsis of the whole book. And this will also contain my rating of the book. Again, more to come on that later. So I feel like it will... I'll just give you a quick brief reminder of what we covered in the last episode. So that, you know, everyone gets up to speed and on the same page. And then we can move from there. With that said, let's get into today's action and jam-packed episode covering Origin. So, like I said, I find that it would probably be very beneficial if I, you know, give a quick brief summary of what we covered in, in my last episode to, you know, get everyone on the same page, get them in that mindset and, yeah, you know, make sure that we, we all know what's going on. So last episode started by me giving you a quick summary, I would not summary, just an introduction, I would say, to uh, Dan Brown, the author of this novel. And then we also discussed origin as a whole, what it revolves around. Uh, we covered Robert Langdon and who he was, his character traits. Um, we discussed what series origin belonged to. And yeah, that's what we covered in this section of the episode. And then we moved on to the next one, uh, where I quickly, in the couple of minutes, I would say, discussed a very brief summary of the book where we made, um, you know, plot identifications, 
conflict identifications and we sort of discussed one of the major things that happened in the first half of the book and we left it off somewhere around that 200 page mark and that puts us almost exactly at half a stage so quickly moving on from that we covered um you know we covered a much deeper discussion on the two key themes of the book the first two key themes of the book we'll do the other ones today and uh, this was a discussion on science and religion and i really enjoyed making this part of the episode and it was probably one of my favorites and i hope you guys enjoyed listening to it now here i also you know gave sort of my nitpicks about what i didn't like about these two themes and how dan brown incorporated into into you know them into his novel and then uh, I also gave sort of guides, not really guides, um, ways I feel like the book could have been more better for me, I would say, and a, a, a better read for me. And yeah, then we moved on to the last section for that episode where we discussed uh, the technical, the clinical side of things, uh, where I talked a bit about his writing, his introductory writing, uh, his character writing, character scale. Um, I talked about reader viability, who would enjoy this book. And we talked about rising action and the plot. That was, yeah, that sort of wrapped up that episode. So I just wanted to get that out of the way. So, you know, we're all on the same page. We know what's going on and what's going to come in this episode. And now that we have that done, let's get into today's stuff. So getting into this episode itself, from where we left off last time, we see our protagonist, Robert Langdon, rummaging through his friend's house, navigating the intricate maze that is the Casa Mila. Of course, this is where we left off last time, and, you know, he arrived at Barcelona to go to his friend's house and find any clues or inklings as to what his friend's password for his, you know, unique phone might be. Now, you know, he is looking, like I said, for a set of characters that when typed into a keypad would help him change the world. Here, he also uncovers a shocking truth about one of the side characters' life. And it is, we get to know their motivation behind their actions, sort of, and the character's arc and the why Dan Brown wrote him the way that he is. And I find that that is really interesting since that is something new we it's a really big shock. There's really no, um, you know, foreshadowing to this reveal. Nothing like that. It, it's just sort of given to us. And that's what I really liked about this part of the book. And in and around this boulevard of the novel, we also see numerous obstacles thrown in the path of Langdon. Of course, like most rising action, climax, you know, that area of the book like most books have. Um... The second half of the book also presented him and his allies and the people that are with him with dangers that I feel like challenged their bond, their willpower and commitment more than ever in the whole novel. Again, this is generic and this is what happens in every book once sort of the base is laid. We get more of the conflict thrown at us and we get more problems arising and the book really picks up speed in the second half, you know, like most novels do. So, as Robert and his associates start a race against time, we also discovered that there's an unknown adversary, and we are plunged deeper into the murky waters of modern art and religion. So, from flying through helicopters, examining churches, and facing off in heart-racing duels against numerous antagonists, like I said, we are rewarded with an action-packed latter half of the book. So, finally, 
you know, as the end goal is achieved and skipping forward like I did last time, you know, not to ruin anything uh, through all the plot twists and plot developments and just a second storyline as a whole, you know, leaving that for you guys to enjoy. Um, we finally come upon the moment we have been anxiously waiting for. The broadcasting of the world-changing presentation. Now, of course, at this point, we have read about Langdon coming out of the abyss and ravine that is the second half of the book successfully and with his friend's password. Now, we see ourselves entering the presentation sequence of this literary piece, and this is also the climax of the book. Through the duration of which we are bombarded, absolutely, yeah, this, um, with a lot of revelations. And this is, of course, happening as we sit there taking in the view of this thought-provoking announcement. Now, as the final pieces and answers to the two questions that have haunted us and bothered us throughout this piece are presented to us, you know, through this presentation, a sense of satisfaction dawns upon you naturally, the reader, as you get a sense of what's going on and you can't help but, you know, laugh out loud as you finally figure out where Robert's friend was heading with his proclamation. Now, if this book, in my opinion, if it were to be converted into a day's timeline, this would be the noon hour, uh, the afternoon, mid-afternoon, uh, where the sun is high in the sky, the light is shining down, eliminating all the darkness, and letting us finally get a glimpse of the reveals of the book that have evaded us too long in the shadows that is the rising action of this book. Again, in my opinion, this is... Okay, I'll discuss it a bit later, but it's a very well-written, there's no denying that section of the book, but I'll go into more depth of it and the clinical and technical side of things because I definitely had a few problems with it, so stick around for that. And, of course, after the noon hour comes the twilight or the evening, and in this section of the book, we see everything falling into place, creating a beautiful picture. Smaller, more heart-wrenching reveals are made, and everything sort of calms down, slowly fading away. You know, like most conclusions do. That is, until the last few pages, where we're treated with yet another plot twist. And that, in my opinion, is very well written by Dan Brown. And it sums up the whole book magnificently for me. Um, it just leaves us with a stamp, and the book puts down its stamp on the literary world. It's, it's just a great part for me. So... As we're left in shock and disbelief over this last thriller sequence, the pages of origin dwindle away, taking us out of the world of this brilliant novel. And we're delivered back to our reality, making origin nothing but another book. Robert Langdon, nothing but another protagonist. A Harvard professor whose story is told between two covers with a few hundred pages. Leaving us... With a cherished memory. So there you go again guys. That is the second half. The full book of Origin. Summarized in again. A very superficial and brief manner. And you know my purpose was to just give you a sniff. Just a taste of what the actual book revolves around. And what it feels like. Again, similar to last episode, like I've said multiple times, the summary is intended to be really short on my, from my part, and I wish to come cut. Oh, can't speak. Come on. Okay. Um, I wish to cut back on the number of spoilers I provide in this podcast, and that's the reason why. So you know, everyone can listen to this podcast without being worried if there are going to be spoilers in it or anything like that. 
But, okay, sort of going off on a tangent here, but I was just brainstorming, and if you guys ever do want me to come back on books that I've already covered, like Origin, once we will be moving on, and do a much deeper summary of these books, please let me know, since if enough people want something like that, I would definitely look into it. And those episodes won't have a reflective piece attached to them, you know? I won't be talking about my opinions about the writing, I won't be talking about my opinions on the theme, it will just be me sitting down and going through the book precisely in around like 20 to 30 minutes. And again, that can be about any book that I've already covered, you know, right now it's only Origin, or any book that we'll cover in the future. Anyways, I just wanted to get that out there, and now we can move on to me discussing the two remaining key themes in our novel for this podcast. So, let's start discussing modern art and computers. Okay, now, now, just a heads up. If I'm being completely honest with you guys, I'm not an expert in either of these subject areas. So, I'll be trying my best to provide my thoughts on them. But if I do miss or incorrectly say something, I truly apologize from them right from the get-go. So, let's start with modern art. Or, actually, let's discuss art as a whole first for a start, and then move on to abstract or modern art. So, I find that arts in our world today provide a contemporary viewing platform for people to navigate the kaleidoscope that is our human nature and the world around us. In my opinion, art is a window through which one can get an overview of an entire culture and examine their way of living. Now, why is that, you might be wondering. But I feel this way because, in my opinion, humans are a naturally dramatic species. We like to express our emotions. We don't like to bury them inside us. And we like to be open about our emotions, you know. Most of us do. There are always exceptions. And sometimes I feel like for a species like us, written and oral communication can be very restrictive. And prove itself as sorts of a barrier through which an individual's true emotions can't be seen or felt by their peers. And I find that art, in situations like these, presents itself as a method through which an individual can let out their frustrations or take off their mask, revealing their true self, without having that burden of judgment, of bias, or prejudice, forcing them to suppress their true nature and individuality. I also find art to be a deeply immersive activity. One that allows the artist, the viewer, to develop a connection through a particular work of art. Also, art, in my opinion, is a very, very personal topic for each individual, since every viewer or every examiner would have a different opinion as to what the message of the piece truly is, while the actual artist could have composed the piece with completely different intentions. So, the first example that comes to my mind in a situation like this is Leonardo da Vinci's Mona Lisa. Because for decades, for a long time, we have been pondering over the fact if the lady in the painting is happy or sad. Is he smiling or not? But what if da Vinci didn't pay much attention to that detail, but instead had another message being conveyed through something in the background or some other article in the piece? I find that art is a difficult realm to navigate, at least for me. I have trouble understanding or depicting visuals, but for some, it feels like home, and I always respect that. But now, if we move to modern art, 
you get a completely different world. And despite belonging to the same family, classical and modern are, in my opinion, are strongly, strongly divergent. And I really don't have that many positives to say about modern art. So let's get into it. <laughs> so I find when we talk about modern art, forms like abstraction and abstract art come up naturally. People like Kandinsky or even Pablo Picasso are common names in this arena. But personally, if I'm being completely honest here, I find this art very, very difficult to understand, confusing, and honestly, a bit messy. I feel that this art style is so much more personalized, as to me, it feels that pieces are directly, you know, only directed towards the artist. For example, many abstract pieces are a self-portrait of the author or resemble personal experience, you know, things like that. And this for me marks the difficulty in understanding this art and sort of the confusing side of things. Secondly, I feel that sometimes it seems to me, I know a lot of people say this, but I'm a strong believer in this, that anything can be art. I don't know how that works because I always imagined art as a precise activity that takes time. But nowadays, I feel that even certain arrays or certain combinations of colors just randomly splattered onto a canvas without any meaning can be considered art. That's my problem with it. I feel like anyone can do it and I don't really like the feeling of that because I feel like every profession, every skill takes time to master and, you know, to be proficient in. But with art like this, I feel like even a five-year-old kid could just splatter cans of paint on a canvas and there you go, you got an art piece. Um, but yeah, I also find that visual representations or depictions any depictions from cave drawings to, you know, abstraction are supposed to be quick. And I've, I always imagined art as easy to understand and to be admired. But I find that with modern art, you're spending hours, hours pondering over the meaning of a painting, which makes it so inconvenient. Like there's so many art museums around the world where I've heard, you know, examples of people that I know talking to me about how they've gone there they sat on a bench looking at the painting understanding what it means just looking at it and again i find if you are going to turn something from words into a visual depiction at least make it easy to understand don't make it so complicated and you know where you have to actually sit there thinking hmm what could have this artist a hundred years ago in completely different societal you know structures and stuff like that been thinking it's just not for me, let's just say that. And the last point I wanted to make about modern art is that, honestly, some of it can be unpleasing to the eye. In my opinion, there's no denying that. And it just makes it look as though the artist hasn't put in effort to the piece. And I hate saying this, and of course, this is never true, but I feel that this situation occurs for me often and arises when there's a disconnect between the viewer and artist. I know, you know, in my opinion, this happens when the piece is difficult to connect with and understand. And this is my third point where it's messy, disconnected, and I really don't understand it. I, I don't want to say it, but it, it just sometimes art doesn't make sense to me. And again, this is just my opinion, but I really don't have too many positives to say about modern art. And yeah, 
I'll leave it there for the art scheme of things. You guys always feel free to tell me your opinion on, on these themes and what I've said. But with that, I'll leave it there for modern art. Keep pondering over it. Keep developing your mindset on it. And we'll be moving on to the second theme for today. And the last one for this book. And this will be computers. Or rather, again, <laughs> okay, I'm changing a lot here. But technology as a whole. Because I feel like computers is too specific. And not only computers, but... It's technology that has, you know, impacted our world so much. So, let's get right into it. And to start off, I feel that it would only be fair to say right now, right from the get-go, that in my opinion, technology, every single piece of it, you know, be it our computers <laughs> or be it our phones, controls our lives today to an extent that could not have been deciphered a few decades ago. The dependence of humankind on technology, in my opinion, arises from a desire of discovery and sense of comfort. Now, why do I say this again? Because I find that technology opens up endless doors for the exploration of our world and the worlds beyond. Information we wouldn't have been able to come across without the constant evolution of technology. Technology is a common fixture in all of our lives today. You know, duh. Um, and when this free access to this essential tool is disrupted, a feeling of restriction and helplessness takes over. Since the number of things I find that we can do today without this mechanism feel limited and sparse. And due to this, I find that even though we can pride ourselves on creating the first computer or the first spaceship, even the first microscope or the first iPhone, I find that these creations have, to an extent, caused, you know, for us to lose our sense of independence in the world. But, again, it would be naive to claim that the age of technology has only given way to negatives. Because, like the sides of a coin, this subject comes with both positives and negatives attached to it. For example, this innovation has taken our human experience to a new level. We have resources that weren't available. The number of resources that we have today were unprecedented even last generation. Without this development, I believe that we would have been living in a world where our only focus or our major focus was still survival. And the time wouldn't be there to take on or work on, discover, develop new more progressive ideas. There is no denying that technology as our friend, you know, without technology as our friend, human life would have been vastly different and in my opinion, mainly for the worse. This is where the comfort level comes in for me because it's due to this safety net and that sort of we have gone on to invent revolutionary machines and ideas. And again, that's where I'll be leaving it for technology. And I find both of these topics, we can have discussions on them for hours and hours and hours upon end. But again, these aren't as close to my heart, I would say, as the last ones. So there's, of course, I don't have that much of an opinion on them since science is much, much more important. And I understand that more than, say, modern art, for example. So we'll leave it here for the theme, the thematic side of things. But now... Connecting it back to our novel, Origin, I feel that Dan Brown presents a thought-provoking view into what our future with technology could look like. 
And personally, I love, absolutely adore, in terms of these themes, how he manages to effortlessly send Langdon and his cast on a journey through religion, through our roots, through our past, only to discover and find the answers for our future. Like I said, I absolutely love this oxymoronic prelude of the book because it connects humankind's two stages of development and portrays us as an ever-evolving species, which some of you might have already figured out is a topic that I find deeply engrossing and just absolutely engaging and lovely. Overall, unlike the last two themes, like I've said, I don't have too many nitpicks about this couple, mostly because, again, they aren't as close to my heart as those from the last episode. But again, I definitely do feel, like I've said in the past, that in some parts of the book, the amount, just the sheer amount of modern art references and relations are, that are made just get so boring and definitely cumbersome to read. Since it loses the reader, at least it lost me in parts, and creates a disconnect between the author and the reader. And I find this saddening because it really neutralizes all the efforts made to connect the readers with the book and the characters. Similar, again, a lot of it is similar to last year's, not last year's, last episode's problems. I feel that this problem can again simply be solved by just reducing the amount, just the number of art references in the book, and maybe even reducing the depth of the art pieces that are left. And I feel that this could make a book an even better read. And yeah, again, if the things that I said about this, you know, in this episode about how he could fix these thematic ideas, and what I said about, you know, in the last episode about science and religion, and how they relate to the book, I feel that if these things were fixed, and a bit more in the writing, you know, which I'll talk about right away, I feel that this book could honestly be a perfect read. It could, it would really have not a lot wrong with it. But again, nothing is perfect. And yeah, sadly, this book, again, isn't a perfect read, but it's very, very close to it. But yeah, that about wraps up what I want to say about these two topics. And I hope you enjoyed my thoughts on arts and technology. Again, this section was shorter than last episode's, because I have a lot more to say about um, science, about religion, because I feel like I know about a lot more about those topics. So, with that said, let's finish up this, uh, you know, this section and move on to the last piece, let's say that, I've been saying section too much, <laughs> of this episode and origin, where I'll discuss my thoughts on the technical and clinical side and the clinical part of the book. See you on the next side. So for this section today, I just wanted to discuss three different elements from the second half of the book. These being, number one, the climactic scene and the climax, with my opinions attached to it, and then moving to the conclusion and the ending, and finally, finishing it off with the character arcs and the character development of the protagonists and the side characters throughout the whole book, and how I feel their arcs ended, and my opinion on it. So, starting off with the climax of the book, let's discuss that first. Alright, so personally, in my opinion, the climax is good, there's no denying that, but it's honestly a bit disappointing, and this disappointment makes it a lot harder to read, and I don't know, it just really didn't hit for me. Now, why is this? 
I find the reason to be because the lead up to the climax, the rising action like I've discussed in my previous episode, is so very good that no matter what the climax was going to be, you know, this I sort of started thinking this right from, you know, when I got to the halfway point of the book, that, you know what, no matter how good the climax may be, I probably won't, you know, feel satisfied or it probably won't do justice to their rising action. And that's what came to fruition. And it really didn't do that for me. Now, let's take a look at the two questions whose answers we were looking for in the highest point of the book. So, of course, the first one is, where do we come from? If you remember the last episode, I said that this was a very interesting question. And I was very, very intrigued by it. And personally, I developed a lot of, um, you know... A lot of theories as to what maybe Dan Brown was going to try to convey in his climactic scene, what the message was going to be, you know, how the themes were going to come into play and things like that. Um, honestly, this wasn't a very good part for me. Uh, the reasoning for this now is the answer provided for this isn't bad. I mean, I honestly kind of liked it, but it's very, very specific and it's very precise. Now, I'm a big fan of preciseness and, you know, specific things but the problem with this one is that it only belongs to a certain genre of you know thinking about it only looks at a human experience and human history from one window meaning that if you don't agree with that worldview or if you don't like that genre you aren't gonna enjoy it and that's why i sort of rated this question kind of low on my list of the things i liked about this book because looking at it from a neutral perspective I can see why, you know, this won't be a great climax, I would say. And yeah, that was my only problem with it. Because again, it only seemed to be centered around or it only seemed that only like a certain group of people would enjoy it. And that's never really what you want when you're writing a book for a wide scale audience. So there's my opinion on the first question. And secondly, we have the second question. Where are we going? Now, this question was the one that I was very, very excited for because I was expecting something different, something unique, something new that hasn't been brought to the table yet. But this is where most of my issues for the climax came from. Because the way this question was first presented, like I said, in my mind, I was creating an answer that was, like I said, a bit unique, a bit different. But I was very, very let down by the climax scene revelation for this question because in my opinion, it was very, very generic and it's like a very commonplace prediction about what our future is going to look like. And it really didn't impress me that after all this buildup, this was what the climactic reveal was. Yeah, it's really, it was sort of a stale finish. It really didn't do much for me. And I was truly disappointed that in the terms of this question, there was nothing new, like I've said, brought to the table. And for me, that was the least exciting part of the book. This was probably the most disappointing part of the book that I've read. And it was probably the lowest point of not only the second po- uh, half of the book, probably the whole book as a And yeah, um, I don't know. It, it It's sort of disappointing. Because it really, I also feel sort of sad for the author because you have that much buildup. You have very, very strong rising action, but 
you never really get anything from the climax that matches that build up and that's where the problem with a lot of thriller climaxes is for me because the rising action the suspense the mystery is always always good or you know even decent authors do a good job of that but it takes a very 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 proficient author to you know make a climax that really no one saw coming or really you know surprises the audience and i feel dan brown sort of didn't hit the mark with this climax here because like i said one question or the answer to the first question was very very specific and targeted towards one type of audience and like i've said answer to question two was very 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 uh generic and it's nothing new i wanted something new from the climax because the way you know robert was thinking about it in his head the way his friend presented the question i found that you know because i also worded this question differently i looked at it from the point of view of our origin and our destiny and once you bring destiny into you know the word bank you sort of start thinking along different lines and that's sort of what what i wanted and i really didn't get anything to live up to that you know live up to that hype because again i was yeah i don't have much to say like it was very disappointing for me probably one of the, the weakest climaxes i've read in in a, in a long time and i don't want to be mean to the book but it just really wasn't very good so next and let's move on i don't want to be negative for too long but following the most disappointing section of the book we now move to what in my opinion is probably one of the best written sections of the whole novel and this is probably the best part of the whole second half it's on the same level as the you know murder scene from the first half of the book it's on the same level as the mystery that has been developed throughout the book and it's just very very strong for me now let's let's examine what this concluding check uh can't speak what this concluding section a bit more cl- closely so of course in every conclusion we get the commons of it where everything settles down and we get minor revelations that don't challenge or change the outlook too much but are just sort of a few nice points and bits of information that just grow the book more engages you in the universe more and draws more of an emotional reaction from the reader and connecting them further i feel like whichever character had these revelations and had these mysteries coming out about them it connected the reader a lot more to that character and it just raised their stock price and raised the bar for their writing a lot a lot more and then you know during this period we see like i've said previously in this episode all the puzzle pieces come together and form a beautiful picture in my opinion that leaves us with a near perfect ending but we also get something a bit more unique or something i haven't really seen much of before and this is where in the conclusion dan brown pulls off a ploy where he decides to say the big reveal of robert's friend's killer till the end now all the sums of the book like i've said you know again uh, previously uh this sums up the book of plot twists of plot turns really really well i feel like he tries to drag on this mystery as well a bit too long and i would have definitely preferred to understand it just a bit closer to the climactic scene and definitely before the falling action began cuz it just you know i feel like he tries to get too much out of this one mystery and i would have appreciated it if it was a little you know kind of tied in or related to the climax scene 
where he, I don't know, where we discover who the killer was because I feel like he leaves it maybe just a bit too late and I don't think the ploy works out too well. But again, sort of as a counterpoint, I do understand why he did this because, you know, the auth- I, I feel like it would have been also been too much information now that I think about it, giving to us in, you know, one chunk or one clump of pages. And I feel like if you have that much information coming at you, you don't really get a chance to truly appreciate the writing and how the author has set up this whole scene and set up the whole book and the rising action that has led up to the scene. So, sec- I guess looking back, I do understand why that happened, but still, I I would have preferred to have it a bit closer to the climax. But yeah, overall... I feel that this was a very well-written part of the book, and it almost neutralizes <laughs> the part before it um, to make it a decent second half of the book. And But other than that, you know, the one complaint I found about the reveal and the re- uh, reactions, and... Okay, I, I lost my train there. Uh, no. But other than that one problem I had with the reveal, I found, you know, the reaction and how it was actually revealed who the killer was to be very, very strong and engaging, Because even though I had my suspicions about the character, the way it is presented is so very good in that it really, really suits that character. And, you know, like some movies or some TV shows or some books even do, Dan Brown doesn't go out of the way to give this person a villainous motive or anything like that. It just flows very, very well with that character's values, that character's ethics, their morals. And I feel like that is very good on his part because sometimes... If the antagonist is too evil or too crazy, kind of makes it unrealistic. So I preferred it this way. Uh, other than that, the red hearings and everything else sorts itself out. And we get explanations as to the other suspected characters and their actions. And yeah, I feel that this conclusion, while not being the best one I've ever read, definitely did justice to the book and finished it off very well. And I was overall very happy by reading this conclusion. It... Wasn't the best, like I've said, but it was very, very strong, and yeah, it was good. So finally, and for the last part of today's episode, I just want to discuss very, very briefly um, where the main and side characters stand at the end of the book. So starting with the main protagonist, Robert Langdon, I feel that he is left in an interesting spot, because if there is another book in this series, we probably won't see any of the other characters from this book, and Robert would be in in on something like that, on a new adventure. Uh, but I think that Dan Brown, what he does with these books is that Langdon learns something in each novel. And with each experience, he grows from that. So in my opinion, we could be seeing a more complex and understanding Robert Langdon in the next Langdon book, where he takes the teachings, where he takes the experience from this novel and uses it to help him solve the next mystery coming his way. Now, moving on to the second, not the second, what, the side characters, uh, there really aren't, isn't much for me to say here, because they will in most likelihood not be reappearing again in the next book, so it makes them a bit simpler to write, since where they leave off in this book is where they will stay in the reader's mind, since we most likely won't get another book into what their life was like beyond the parameters of origin. But in terms of their arc, I feel that most of them were left in a very good place. And, you know, they had great contributions, some of them, and good contributions, uh, others, to the storyline of the book. Barring one or two, like you have with most side characters, there were a few that I didn't understand 
why they were in there or anything. But I accept it, you know, every book has some of its flaws. So overall, I once again say that the this book has very strong and appealing and connective characters, which for me is one of its greatest strengths. And, you know, it has a lot of strengths. Uh, I feel like I've been a bit negative and a bit harsh on the book in this, uh you know, review section. But definitely, I want to clear it up that this book is definitely not a bad read. It's a very, very good read. But no book I've ever read is absolutely perfect and doesn't have something that I, you know, dislike about it. So I feel like that's what makes books good. Um, you know, something that you can sort of discuss about. Um, and that's how you know the book has had a lasting impact on you. And yeah, again, it was a very strongly, it was a very well-written book as well. But for me, the first half was definitely stronger, more engaging, more interesting, easier to follow along than the second section, which is very rare if I now think about it. Usually the climax, the conclusion, you know, is the one that draws you in. But I don't know, it's, it's just how this book worked. And yeah, that is where I'll wrap up this section, the last section, the last section of origin, and the last section of this episode. But yeah, guys, that will be a wrap on this episode and on the book, Origin Itself. A reminder that the next episode will be a rating episode, where I'll take a bit of time to give it a rating out of 5 stars, and with that, we'll be moving on to the next novel in this series, Literal Talks. But training to this episode, I definitely would say that I enjoyed the first half of the book more than the second, which like I just said, is very rare, but because of the last lackluster climax and generic plot development, I would say that the first and second halves of this book are divergent. But yeah, as always, thank you so so much for listening, and join me again next week for the first rating episode of my podcast, and let me know your opinions of this podcast in the comments and share the podcast with anyone you think would find it interesting. And that will be greatly, greatly appreciated from my side. With that said, this is Armin, and you just heard Literal Talks. And I'll see you guys in the next one. Bye-bye. <laughs>